Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. When you want to have fun and have scratchers to scratch, there's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California Lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hey, everyone. Before we get into this week's episode with Molly, we wanted to announce the winner of Armando Poster Contest. Thank you to everyone who entered the, the contest. Your support means everything to us, especially as we've been starting out. Uh, you know, we were going to give away one poster, but uh, Mary Beth and I were talking, and fuck it. We're giving away two posters. <laughs> All right, and so with drum roll. further drum roll, please. The winners of the contest are at the Slumber Life and at Dan Fleming. Yay! So Slumber Life and Yay. Dan Fleming, please message us on Twitter at the Scarred Podcast Twitter account to claim your poster. To everyone else, please keep listening to our future con for our future contest, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us build our audience. Now, on to the show. Yay. Somebody please think of the children. Hello, Internet, and welcome to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our special guest is Molly Henry. Is that how you say your last name, Molly? Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> You've seen her writing on Ghastly Grinning, Nightmarish, and on her own website, The Walking Banshee. Uh, thanks for joining us, Molly. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. So, uh, Molly, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, what, what you like to write about, where we can find your work outside of it, and kind of what you do? 
Yeah, um, I primarily focus on horror film reviews, uh, just because I it's my favorite genre, and I feel like it's one that critics are unjustly harsh towards, um, sure. and don't fully understand the catharsis involved in horror. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I started with my own website, thebloggingbanshee.com, and since then I've started writing um, for, like you said, other websites like Ghastly Grinning and Nightmarish Conjurings. Um, and I also previously co-hosted a podcast many moons ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, most of my writing can be found on thebloggingbanshee.com. I also love that name for a website. Thank you. It's, just it's such fantastic. a good name. And it just like, it's easy to remember. It's just very good. I love it. I've always been a fan of alliteration. I was going to say I love alliteration. <laughs> and I also, I felt like when I was trying to think of a name, I had just found out that I was Irish because I didn't oh, know at okay. the time. My I'm big on Ancestry.com. <laughs> cool. um, and I also felt like a banshee is supposed to be this like harbinger of death. And I, what am I? What am I as a horror film critic? I'm a harbinger of death. I'm going to tell there you about you all the death and carnage <laughs> that's happening. I love it. I love it. Um, so Molly, what would you say is your favorite movie, like horror movie, at this moment? I know it, we talk we talk about it with people, and I know it always changes. But like right now, what would you say your favorite horror movie is? Oh, it's yeah, it's so hard for me to pick one. I'm bad at picking <laughs> favorites favorites for anything. Very true. I know. I always ask these questions, and I'm like, I know how hard it is, but sometimes it's a nice, <laughs> it's like a nice icebreaker in a way. Yeah. yeah. I guess one. I'm just gonna think of the first one that comes to mind, one that I just saw recently um, that was totally like my kind of really twisted sense of humor is Harpoon. Oh my gosh. Um, I actually just posted a review for it this week. (laughs) We actually Um, just talked to Rob Grant um, on the previous episode and he's amazing. He's so funny and his, his sense of humor matches Harpoon sense. Oh, that's amazing. That makes me so happy. Yeah, I that movie I was laughing way harder than I should have. Oh no. Um, I was dying of laughter the entire I, yes. time. There's such horrible people. I know. Which I, I I mentioned this a bit in my review. Normally that kind of stuff bothers me when there are like no redeeming qualities in the characters, but in this the context of that film, it works perfectly. And I love watching them go through all the shit that they go through. Right? Absolutely same. And and listeners, I promise you, we did not pay Molly Henry to say this. <laughs> this is just another time that we are talking about Harpoon because it is so damn good. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I Yeah. And it's, like I said, I watched it like a week or two ago. I just reviewed it finally because I'm slow. <laughs> but yeah, it's... It definitely is one of the first ones that comes to mind because I feel like there haven't been a ton of like horror comedy kind of films that have really grabbed me recently. Yeah, and it's so um, dark. Like yeah. it has such a caustic sense of humor to it. I love it. Yeah, it's different than like watching uh, like Shaun of the Dead, mm-hmm. where it's like campy and kind of like making fun of and paying homage to the to the genre and stuff. Whereas this, it's like. We're going to put some really fucked up people in fucked up situations, and you're going to laugh at it. <laughs> and then have Brett Gallman uh, narrate. Yes, which was amazing. <laughs> that narration was so good. <laughs> it was so good. Uh, but so, so, besides, that's, I guess, your favorite movie and what you've been watching recently. <laughs> yes, so it Terry, is kind of a combo. Recently. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I cut you off, Terry? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, what have I been watching recently? So, uh, 
if if you guys don't have Shutter, um, I don't know what's wrong with you. Again, we're not paid by Shutter <laughs> to say this, but they have some really good movies right now. And uh, one of the ones that premiered in October uh, that I, as we're recording this, I just wrote my review for, um, is The Furies. And have you guys seen this yet? No, I just got um, a screener for it um, as the recording of this podcast, so I haven't watched it yet, but I'm watching it this week. Yeah, I have I have the screener in my inbox right now. I need to watch it tonight. <laughs> well, I'll be curious to hear what you guys think of it, because um, I found it to be incredibly just a lean, mean uh, thriller. Just it doesn't have much exposition or setup. It just it just starts to book like the first scene is about these this this uh, two friends who are tagging uh, a bridge with um, the fuck patriarchy is what basically what they're painting on the, on the cool, fridge. Cool, cool. I'm, I'm on board already. All right? All right, all right. <laughs> and then they, they get kidnapped, and one of our lead character wakes up at, in a black box, and the box has the name Beauty on it and the number eight. And then she discovers very quickly that she and a bunch of girls have been kidnapped in this out this outback Australian forest, and are being hunted by men in these horrific masks. And it is bloody as fuck. It is violent. It is just, it just books from the, from the very beginning. And I, I really, I think it's, I think it's really enjoyable, but I'm curious, I'll be curious to hear what you guys think when you eventually review it. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it. And then I saw you tweet about it um, after you watched it. And I was like, okay, cool. Because I feel Terry and I, we have a very similar taste and like in movies so i feel like if you like it i'm definitely gonna like it especially if it starts with someone spray painting the words fuck patriarchy on a bridge. Right. <laughs> i think that's gonna be um very much my taste well and i think the other thing i liked i liked about it is that um the characters don't come from a place of like abuse or like they're not sexualized in any way um it's not like there's no sexual violence done in the beginning or anything oh, it's just good. like wow. they're just kidnapped and it's like the most dangerous game of like beauty versus beast and it's it's um i I think it goes in some really interesting places and there's some twists there's a moment that like shocked the hell out of me um i think it's fun so i'm I'm curious to to read your guys's reviews if you guys do end up reviewing it yeah shutter really does like have some amazing original content they're putting out there yeah absolutely what about you uh mary beth um so speaking of shutter they just put out one cut of the dead um, and everyone needs to see that. Have you guys watched it yet? I haven't yet. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I it's love it. a phenomenal, speaking of horror comedy, it's an amazing like horror comedy. It has this amazing, I think it's like a 38 minute long take where there's no cuts at the beginning. And it's just all of the, I, I actually had the opportunity to review this last November. It came to Chicago as part of, um, their annual kind of Asian film festival and I requested a screener for it just because it's a zombie movie. So I thought, very okay, amazing. And it's so good. And I'm so glad it's getting the attention that it's getting. Um, it is just such a phenomenal film. It's funny. It's bloody. And it's definitely not what you'd expect. I mean, every, it, I think people know at this point, like, the first half is like a zombie movie. And the second half is what it means to make a horror movie. And it's just so clever and so well done. And so kind of like puts you on the edge of your seat in a in a good way and i think everyone needs to check it out on shutter um and then also i haven't finished this yet but i'm, I'm watching this sh- the show on netflix marianne the french horror show i've heard so much about it it was yeah, terrifying so i've only watched the first episode and i really liked it i love french horror movies like french extremism is mm-hmm. one of my favorite 
genre, like weird subgenres of um, of horror. So I really like this so far. I, again, I'm only one episode in, but it's like the perfect thing to watch now that it's spooky season um, and it's creepy and gross and just I think very much up a horror fan's alley. Molly, do you like it? I haven't watched it yet, I, but just from the the trailer, I already can tell that I'm going to be a scared little baby curled up in a ball um because that like just from the couple of scenes like it's definitely the style of horror that really freaks me out oh, okay. <laughs> so i i'm really looking forward to it but it's because i end up watching a lot of horror stuff while i'm working on other things and it's subtitled i have to like actually find time to sit down and yeah. focus which is a good thing because i should be focusing on it <laughs> But, but I know what you I know what you mean yeah. with like the having to put on a screener or something in the background while you do something is because I feel like we all probably watch a ton of screeners, so it's kind of hard to always maybe one hundred percent focus on the screener. Yeah. Yeah. It's um it, it's one of those movie or movies, television shows that like I keep it keeps showing up on like CNN or whatever is like this movie is scaring the crap out of Netflix viewers. And it's always like one of those things that's like um overhyped, but Everyone on Twitter, like horror Twitter, people that I, I respect and, and believe are all like, yeah, it's really, it really got me. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to finally finding some time to watch it. Yeah, and I feel like it's one of those shows that because it's on Netflix and it, it, it was being promoted, at least for me, like in the top carousel, it's mm-hmm. getting probably a wider audience who don't watch that kind of thing. But like Brad Miska from Bloody Disgusting tweeted a video from it a couple of days. I think it's actually yesterday, and it was really creepy. So I think... It will be a very good thing for me to keep watching. So that's definitely what I've been focusing on. Molly, I know you talked about Harpoon. Is there anything else that you've been watching that's been like that you really enjoy? Or any festival films you've been seeing that you want people to put on their, their radar? Ooh, yes. Um, I'm actually going to a film festival this weekend. So mm. I'll probably have more festival updates after that. But I did um, just on Monday review a new Netflix film um, in the tall grass. Okay, I'm oh, curious. I'm so excited. Yeah. I've heard such good things about it. I, I was actually pleasantly surprised because um, when, uh, when it's a bunch of unknown actors, especially for some like an organization as big as Netflix, it can be really hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought the performances were really good. Patrick Wilson is in it, and he, like, when he goes full-on creep, he is so good. <laughs> <laughs> like, such, I think he's such a great actor. I he love is. Patrick Wilson. He's so I good at like, in horror movies. Like he's amazing. Yeah. And I love that he does so much horror because it's like I, he and to do a movie like this, like it's a Joe Hill Stephen King mm-hmm. adaptation. It's uh, based on a novella they did, and like even though it's they, those big names are attached to it, the the director isn't. I mean, he's well known like in horror circles because it's the same guy who did like The Cube. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's well known to people like us, but to a lot of Netflix users, they would not have any idea. They wouldn't recognize you know, that name. I've never seen The Cube. It's really good. I haven't seen That's The Cube I either. I've just seen a lot of really cool screen grabs. Um, yeah, absolutely. I believe he also did Splice, if that's a more recent okay. one you've seen. Yeah. <laughs> I have seen Splice. I've seen Splice. Um, but The Cube is definitely like awesome. But it's like it's this cool like horror sci-fi mashup. Um like, if you've seen films like The Triangle, it's kind of that kind of formatting, but it still manages to give you stuff that's new and unique 
that you probably might not have seen before. So um, it's been a while since I've read the novella, but from what I remember, it's like people hear a kid calling from the tall grass. Is that yes. It's okay. a brother and sister. The sister's pregnant and they're like going cross country. They're like in the middle of nowhere, like in middle America. Um, and they go in there to get the boy and then they get separated and lost. And there's like all sorts of weird shit. And the other people that are lost in there, you don't know if you can trust them or not. Um, and then the girl's boyfriend, the baby daddy come, <laughs> comes <laughs> trying to find them and he ends up in the grass as well. And then it, it's, yeah, it's, it's really good. And the, I actually, it's funny because you're so used to seeing like in horror, you're so used to seeing fills of corn. So it was honestly having it be grass was kind of refreshing <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> Cause it wasn't just like your typical, like rows and rows of corn stalks. The grass is, grows more sporadically. So it's once you're in there, you completely lose all sense of direction. And it's, I, the, I mean, the grass goes well over their head. So it's probably like, I don't know, like eight feet tall or something. Um, and it's, it's disorienting. And even though you're in this big field, it's, it's almost creates like a claustrophobia. Yeah. Because no matter where you turn, it's just green everywhere. That so was one thing that I thought the trailer sold really well was the yeah. uh, kind of claustrophobia. Cause that's, that's all I've seen about it. And just sort of like the, Every, everywhere you look, is just tall shards of grass. Yeah. And they do a good job of, like, I, I feel like in a film like this, you could easily get into the over-explaining side mm. of it. Yes. And they actually leave a lot a mystery. There's only one aspect of the climax that bothers me a little bit that they didn't explain. And it's like, it kind of felt like it was just there for shock value. Okay. Um, But... That's the only part that that's of unexplained aspect that bothered me. The rest of it I was fine with. I was totally fine with not really understanding what the fuck was going on and being immersed in it with those people because they don't know what's going on either. Cool. Oh, I love when, I, I love when movies do that. Like sometimes I love explanation, but I do like the idea of being kind of immersed with the characters and figuring things out as they figure it out. Yeah. yeah. It's a very, that's something I've been leaning into more as I've honed my taste <laughs> <laughs> and it definitely depends on the movie because sometimes it works and sometimes it's like no you need this explanation or otherwise it just doesn't make sense yeah right yeah i i've i've seen a couple um indie screeners that it's like you're just sort of going along for the ride and then it makes this this change and then it changes again and by the end of it you're like i don't even know what that movie was trying to be about so there's definitely <laughs> a way to like kind of fuck it up and then there's there's definitely i lo- but i love ambiguity in movies i think i think movies nowadays are a little bit too much on the nose yeah. with wanting to explain everything and mm-hmm. and even when they don't explain everything then we make a prequel to explain everything that yeah. <laughs> you didn't need to be explained and i i just i i like i like movies that are just willing to be what the fuck <laughs> yeah um so we've talked about the now let's go back to the past and talk about the movie that you brought with you today molly um what's the film we're talking about we are going to be talking about the original nightmare on elm street yes Yay! <laughs> so before we get into it um i want to bring our listeners up to up to speed just in case they've been living under a rock and have never seen this movie. So I have this little brief synopsis. Um, in Wes Craven's 1984 hit, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the 1980s youth of disaffected parents are targeted one after another by a creepy burnt man of their dreams. He's known for bad fashion, a bladed hand, a dark sense of humor, and a penchant for killing kids. Oh, and he also likes to randomly slice pieces off his body, as one does. 
Um, after Tina, Amanda Wiss, I think is how you pronounce her last name, even though it sounds like Weiss, uh, gets flayed, dragged up a wall, and basically leaves a bloody mess. Her best friend Nancy, Heather Langenkamp, starts to dig deeper into the nightmare ghost haunting her dreams. Eventually, she discovers the boogeyman has a name, Fred Krueger, a child murderer who the parents of Elm Street went vigilante on after he got off on a technicality. They burned his ass, and now he's vowed revenge. As the bodies pile up, Nancy is forced to dodge hall passes, bath time naps, lascivious phones, and her boyfriend's bare midriff as she races to find a way to defeat Freddy once and for all. Or at least until the sequel. <laughs> um, so, so Molly, I'm, I'm, before we get into uh, your childhood recollection, I just want to say that I am so glad that you brought this movie with you because it is, to this day, remains one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious. Uh, I saw it really young, and I'm really curious. When did you see it? Um, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street when I was four. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> it's this I was thinking about it I actually think this might be my earliest film memory oh yeah oh, wow. <laughs> it's the first horror film I ever saw first like specific film memory like I remember like having like when I was little I remember seeing like the clamshell like Disney movies that I owned but I don't have specific memories of watching them mm-hmm. the first specific memory I have of actually watching a film was A Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> That's amazing. That's a yeah. hell of a memory. That is a hell of a first movie yes. to remember. Coming out so with what, a bang. Yeah, absolutely. So what what was your um your four year old thoughts at the time? Um, well <laughs> I I love let me just say, I will tell this story to anyone and everyone who will listen. It's one of my favorite <laughs> film related stories to tell. Um because obviously a four year old shouldn't be watching a nightmare on Elm Street. Um I it was when my, my sister's nine years older than me, so her and a friend were babysitting me. And uh, she, <laughs> we lived in one of those houses where from the front it looks like one story and the back it's two. So mm-hmm. we were in like the basement area that was like a guest room and had a TV. Okay. And I assume her friend had brought the movie over with her because my sister wasn't supposed to be watching it either. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she would have been what? 13 at the time is that uh yeah she would have been about 13 um and so we're watching it i have like my whole body is covered with a blanket i look like et where only my face is showing (laughs) (laughs) and i'm I'm just sitting on the bed between my sister and her friend like that absolutely terrified and then my parents come home early (laughs) oh no (laughs) (laughs) this is the best part Instead of doing the logical thing and just turning the movie off, because we're downstairs away from the front door, my sister and her friend run upstairs to head off my parents and leave me alone with Freddy Krueger. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, so my God. I'm just sitting there shaking, oh, and I remember, like, barely being able to speak, but I, like, was trying to call my sister back down. I was like, Hannah. <laughs> like, absolutely terrified. And it's, Oh, no. I mean, it's it's... I honestly wonder if a lot of my, obviously my love of horror probably stemmed from this moment. Like I was terrified, but there was something about the film and about Freddy that had me keep, made me keep coming back to horror (laughs) over and over again. And I love hearing that. It's yeah. 
I honestly wonder since he specifically attacked people in his dreams, I, I wonder if my sleep issues were because of that (laughs) because I like had horrible nightmares for years and like even went to therapy trying to figure my nightmare shit out. (laughs) So now in hindsight, I'm like, Hmm, I wonder if it was because of Freddy (laughs) Krueger, (laughs) but no, I mean, it was absolutely horrifying. So did your parents come downstairs and interrupt the movie? Or did you I don't remember. Watch... Okay. I, I should ask them. I can't remember. I, they might not have found out until a lot later. I just, right. I know that they kind of gave up. Like they tried, to, obviously my sister's older than me and she wasn't supposed to be watching it. But then kind of after that, my parents let me watch whatever the hell I wanted. Because it's like, well, you've already seen Freddy Krueger. Not much censoring we can do for you now. <laughs> there's not really, there's nowhere else for us to go. Yeah. <laughs> She's so seen I, the worst of it. <laughs> so I kind of like, it's almost like that commercial where they show like wh- how parents are more careful with their first child and with their second child. They just kind of, yep. yep. I was that second child when it came to movies. <laughs> and see, like, I was, whatever. I was your sister. I had a brother that was eight years younger than me. And um, Ah. I would take him to go see movies all the time. I would, when I hit 17, he was going to see rated R movies with me. And so he was like, what, nine at the time? Because I was like, yeah, I'm 17. He can go see this. (laughs) So like, uh, I I, I made him the horror lover he is today. Oh, I love that though. Yeah. That's awesome. It's it's fun. So I I, I think your sister is a wonderful person for that. Well, I I will say I don't think she did it on purpose because she's not a horror fan. Oh, all. is she not? No. Oh. <laughs> Inadvertently made you a horror yeah, fan. Yeah, I think it was probably more her friends doing than hers. Um, right. I mean, as she's gotten more into it now, especially since I started writing reviews, like I'll mm-hmm. recommend stuff to her and she'll watch it. Um, like she was texting me while watching through um, House on Haunted Hill. Oh, okay. Cool. And saying that like she almost threw out her back jumping so hard at the bent, bent neck lady and stuff. Oh, <laughs> that was the best part of that. <laughs> so I, she, she's grown to, but it's taken what, I don't even, how old am I now? So it's taken like more than 25 years for her to get to that point. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But yeah. So do you remember what, what scenes in particular uh, affected you with that movie? I think do you the have, like, any scene memories? that really stuck with me the most is Glenn's death. Mm. Like, ah. I think it's because, like, there's something about the other deaths, like, for the most part, you don't, like, you see the dream parts, and then you see what happens to them in real life, whereas with Glenn, you really only see what happens to him in real life, and I feel like something about that, about being safe in your bed, and then all of a sudden you're just, like, sucked in and blood is spewing everywhere, <laughs> like, that was very traumatizing for me. <laughs> I completely understand yeah. that. I, I had like the opposite uh, um, response to that scene though. Like when when I was I I was not as as young as you. Um, I was I, I I have like this this problem remembering what movie I saw first when I was when I was young. But I saw that around the same time I saw Alien, and oh, okay. I was probably about I want I want to say eight. I'm not positive, but um, I remember being terrified of all the the Tina parts. Yeah, and then like Glenn's death, I was like, oh, this is just fucking awesome. <laughs> I didn't use fuck, but this is just so awesome. <laughs> Little eight-year-old Terry, fuck, that was awesome. Yeah, fuck yeah! <laughs> when I was watching it today, they I was, um, you know, on Amazon Prime, they have, like, the trivia that pops up on the side. Mm-hmm. They had the longest piece of trivia about how they made, they made this whole scene happen with the blood coming out, and it's a revolving set. And it's mm, what they apparently yeah. used for Tina's death at the beginning, and the, um, they built it on an axle so they could just spin it 
360 degrees. Oh, wow. That makes yeah. sense when you when I think back on how it looked. Yeah, because I was wondering, because it's like, it looks so, I was just wondering, like, how do you get the blood to go that direction and everything? And it was really <laughs> fascinating just to, like, to think about that now as, like, an adult trying to be like, how did they even do that without, instead of, like, being kind of freaked out by the fountain of blood coming out of the bed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And that's one of the things that, like, I remember really exciting me about, about the movie was, like, there's, it was the first movie that didn't make sense to me. Like, there's no logical through line. Like, in Jaws, there's a giant shark. Okay, the giant shark's going to eat people. You know, it's like, there's there's always, like, something logical to it. But this movie, just, like, the way he was bending reality and dreams, just always, like, anything could happen. And it just, like, set my mind, my very imaginative mind, like, f- free. And it, I, yeah. Um, What about you, Mary? How old were you when you saw it, Mary Beth? So, okay, I am, like, I didn't see this until about five, four or five years ago. I am really? woefully um, uneducated in, like, the classic <laughs> slashers. It's taken me a long time to watch them because, so, I was thinking about this today, actually, because I was like, I really didn't see this when I was young. I was in my I was in my 20s when I saw it for the first time, and I've loved horror since I was in, like, elementary school or middle school but I think because I was teaching myself a lot about about horror movies and because my my mom and my stepdad weren't really into it and didn't have a lot in the house I kind of just Mm -hmm. had to find it on my own and um I never really like was exposed to Nightmare on Elm Street I I, when I was exposed to it it freaked me out too much like Freddy Krueger's face and his knife hand I think scared me too much to even like entertain the possibility of watching it um and so when I finally watched it it still scared me though I mean more than I was expecting, I was kind of expecting like the usual kind of cheesy 80s slasher film that was going to be fun. And I watched it with my dad and his wife, and they were making fun of it the whole time. But I was like surprised about how creepy it was, especially the beginning. Um, the scene that stuck out to me when I first saw it was when Nancy is sitting at her desk and uh, she turns and Tina's in the body bag and gets dragged yes. down the hall. Like, it's so creepy. That is just so chilling and creepy. And then the other part, which isn't the other thing that stuck out to me, which wasn't really scary, but just gross, is when the um the phone turns into um, Freddy Krueger's mouth. Yes. And, and licks her face. He's <laughs> 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 <It's> like... <laughs> gross. Like, I just... For, I just... This movie is gross. And then... <laughs> The other, the, la- oh, the last one I remember is when he's chasing Tina with his creepy run, where he's like swaying his body. Oh, and, and his wanna... arms are super, super long. And... It's not even that. It's like when it's just he's chasing her, and his arms aren't as long anymore. So they used a um, perspective and like a smaller person for that scene to like make oh. it look really weird. I, I remember I was obsessed with this movie um, when like the DVD originally came out, and there's like all these behind the scenes stuff. And I remember in that particular part, they actually had like. Sort of like what they did in Jaws, they had a, a um, with with the uh, Hooper in the cage scene. They had like a, a, um, um, a little person that was like running behind with with like the claws, so that the perspective would give it this really weird freakiness. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because that part always stuck out just because he's like laughing and running after her, and looks like he's kind of like moving his body in such a weird, disjointed way. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, so I've ha- I have really bad nightmares. 
that seem real. And so this movie always freaked me out because I think one of my biggest fears is my are my nightmare is like leaking into reality just because I have such vivid nightmares. And so it definitely stuck with it. I think that's one of the reasons I avoided it for a long time, like subconsciously. And then when I saw it, it was so weird to see a film that kind of captured that fear of your nightmares coming to life. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that, I, that, that's really what, what, what got me as a, as a kid. It's, it's like just the idea of not being well safe in your own bed. Like you, like you mm-hmm. mentioned before, just, you could be sleeping and sleeping is when you're supposed to be, you know, safe and, there's nothing that's going to, to stop him from gutting you and dragging you across the ceiling. And it always freaked me out when Nancy's like, I haven't slept for seven days. And I'm like, that's my worst nightmare. Like, that's just like pure <laughs> exhaustion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's still able to be such a badass after not a week. I don't know how she did it. I mean, besides, you know, any of those pills that she was shown taking. <laughs> right. Um, the stay awake ones. And... <laughs> yeah. That's what that was one of my favorite parts when like her mom takes all the coffee mugs out and then she pulls the coffee maker out from under her nightstand. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> like, damn, that's commitment. <laughs> Can we talk about her mom for a second? I forgot oh how much God. of an asshole her mom was until I rewatched that movie. She is horrible. Like, obviously alcoholic. Like, duh. But <laughs> but then like how she dismisses her daughter even though she knows that like who this person is and the horrible things he did and she has the freaking glove in their basement who saves that it's like in the boiler yeah and it's like you could have just told her what was going on from the first like in the first place yeah and where does she think her daughter got the hat with freddy krueger's name on it like the fact that she's like no it's just a dirty old hat it's like no it has his name on it you know who this person is like, do you, how would she know if he's been dead pretty much her whole life? <laughs> and even, like, she's in that sleep study, so it's not like they were watching her sleep. It wasn't like she just, like, pulled it out of her ass. Like, yeah. <laughs> like they're watching her sleep and watching her have a nightmare, and they see that cut come out of nowhere. And that frustrated me. I was like, come on, y'all. Like, this isn't even, <laughs> yeah. this is, like, not even plausible that you wouldn't, like, at least believe for a little bit that something weird is happening. And the dad is the cop, but then he's never around with the mom. <laughs> I, they're I, they're divorced, right? That's the vibe yeah. that I was getting because okay, they don't explicitly tell. say it. But yeah, but he's never at the house, and he doesn't have a key to get into the house. <laughs> that one part. That's right. So, yeah. So I assumed that they were divorced. And even when when he's dealing with them, he's he's always emotionless. He's always oh, yeah. that kind of like, you know that. Well, I, I always think of like the '70s show with Red, the guy that you know that's like he just <laughs> is just there reading the newspaper and doesn't really give a shit about the kids. Like he's he is just so, I he he doesn't have any emotion. Like when she calls him after Glenn's death, and yeah. and he's like he's dead, isn't he? And he's like, yeah, that's what they said. Like what? <laughs> this is your daughter's boyfriend. Like this movie is like the epitome of like 1980. Like he said in the intro, during like disaffected teens whose parent like latchkey kids almost like parents don't care and they're just on their own taking care of themselves and the parents are basically useless yeah well and i and i was glad you brought up the mom because it really it's all of the parents i mean you look at at tina's parents you know um well they make the comment that the father abandoned them 10 years ago and when tina died her mother was in vegas with a boyfriend that's right and 
all the parents seem more interested in either drinking or their own sex life to than caring about their parents. And I, I think it's kind of an interesting, like I'm thinking, I was thinking about this now watching it today about it's kind of an interesting critique of like 1980s suburbia, sort of like how we discussed in, in Poltergeist. It definitely is. I hadn't even thought about that before, but it definitely is, especially with like how kids are raised and how parents, like you said, care more about drinking and like their own agendas rather than like what their ki- their kids will be. And especially because Nancy's mom tries so hard to be kind of like a helicopter mom. She's like, people drown and hundreds of people drown in the bath every year. And let me get you some warm milk. I'll turn down your bed. It's like, what are you doing? Like she's trying to, I guess, make up for being kind of a terrible mother in these very like superficial ways also who even likes warm milk i think it's disgusting right but (laughs) she even thinks it's disgusting warm milk gross warm milk now i'm not defending the parents i just want to preface my next statement with that (laughs) but do we think that maybe the parents are like that because they have like ptsd from murdering someone yes i do think that Because that, like, watching it again, that's kind of what I got, especially specifically with with um, Nancy's mom and dad. Like, I feel like that probably obviously led to her being an alcoholic. That led to yeah. the dad kind of being detached and probably led to their divorce, too, assuming they are divorced. That's a really good point. I hadn't actually thought about that. I guess just because that doesn't, to me, I didn't, they didn't push on that enough in my, like, for me to really think about that, but that makes yeah. a lot of sense. And especially, I guess my biggest question, too, is, like, they said the parents, like, went and killed Freddie, but I don't, it doesn't seem like Nancy's parents were parents yet. I guess I don't understand the timeline, but it doesn't, I guess it doesn't really matter. That's, like, just me poking holes in things that don't really matter. <laughs> yeah, um, the timeline is definitely not super clear in these right. movies. But the, the thing that I started thinking about, especially with this viewing, is so this movie was released in 1984. So it's about it's about 10 years removed from the end of the Vietnam War. And like I, I always kind of think about it as like, OK, so you have something that the parents did that the kids have absolutely no ability to control and it's still sending reverberations. Re- oh my gosh, I can't even speak. <laughs> reverberations through like you know their their childhood. Yeah. And so, I, you know, uh, Wes Craven he loved to put little social commentaries in mm-hmm. in like his his movies, especially with like um, House Last House on the Left was kind of a critique of the Vietnam War and that kind of that kind of aspect of it. And and you have like you know the Hills Have Eyes with the nuclear testing and all that kind of jazz about being afraid of of americans at the point so i gotta think that this is kind of continuing in that vein and either subconsciously or or consciously he's kind of dealing with with the repercussions of of the vietnam war that's really interesting i hadn't even thought about that and like even vietnam war and just the idea of intergenerational trauma and like your kids inheriting that trauma that's really interesting huh it's a very good point and actually it's something with the state of the world now it kind of is carrying over into the present unfortunately (laughs) not to get political or anything no no it's okay (laughs) (laughs) i just i think it's interesting because the parents think that they've buried the past right they think that they burned the guy he's dead he can't hurt you now nancy you know like there's there's all of that but it's like the past is repeating itself quite Mm -hmm. literally i mean he's back on his beat killing the kids and uh, it just, 
I don't know, the Parents Act of Violence, you know, didn't solve a single thing. It made it worse. Mm -hmm. It made him kind of unstoppable, as you've seen throughout, what, seven movies in a remake that we don't talk about? (laughs) (laughs) And I I think it's interesting at the very end where, like, you know, she tells her dad, okay, I'm going to get him. I'm going to bring him out. I need you to come and save me (laughs) right when I bring him out. And then she's, like, running through the house screaming, and the damn police officer's just like, what? He makes me so mad, especially after the dad specifically said, if you see anything weird, let me know. Really, you don't think the daughter screaming and breaking the windows is weird? Right. (laughs) She's literally (laughs) shattering windows. And you're just like, oh, maybe I should go get the chief. (laughs) Everything's fine, Nancy. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) And she's just screaming. And then they walk in and her mom is just a skeleton that gets sucked into a hole in the mattress. (laughs) <laughs> that part was so strange. Like, it really, I, I don't remember. This is when I watched, like, watching it today. I was like, this movie does definitely kind of fall apart a little bit for me at the end. Just in the weird, that weird part where he's on top of the mom on fire and she just descends into a hole. Yeah, in the mattress. <laughs> right. That yeah, that part turns into a creepy skeleton a and just sort of animatronically descends <laughs> into the mist. I do like how Nancy is able to de- to defeat him, though. I think that's a... Even though, like, the very last scene kind of ruins it a little bit. Yeah, I actually was like... So I was I wrote a lot of notes about down, about, down about her as a really amazing final girl. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like people talk so much about Laurie Strode as, like, the pinnacle of the final girl, but I think no. Nancy might be my favorite. She's she definitely is, my favorite. She's so cool. I mean... There's even that one part where she's with Glenn on the bridge, and he's like, what are you reading? And it's a book about booby traps, and she's like, I'm into yes. surviving. Yeah. And I'm like, hell yeah. That's, that's what I love about her, because I feel like she was the first final girl that wasn't just, like, things weren't happening to her. She was taking... She had agency. Yeah, she, yeah. she took things into her own hands her own hands and was like, no, I'm going to make stuff happen and I'm going to make sure that I live through this shit instead of relying on others around her yeah, to save and her. She definitely is like that very virginal figure. Like she's always wearing like pink and white and she's, you know, she's sleeping in separate bedrooms from her boyfriend, but that doesn't, it kind of gets eclipsed when she's like setting booby traps and having, making all these really awesome plans of how to figure out what's going on. Like no one needs to tell her she's going to figure it out herself and she is going to be the one to bring an end to it, which I just like forgot how much of an amazing final girl she is. And I was mm-hmm. just like so excited to really kind of revisit that today and remember how much of a badass she is. Um, and I also love her hair. I know that's so weird to say, but like <laughs> I, I have such thin flat hair. So seeing this like beautiful, like thick hair, I'm like, I just, she's gorgeous. <laughs> And they utilize her hair very well in the film. They do. Like, I love how it's just like it, she gets that white streak, but it happens so subtly over time that it's like, wow, as her fear is increasing throughout the film, the white streak shows up more. It's so cool. I well, love and by it. The, by the final scene, her hair is like all like frayed and like mm-hmm. just all over the place. Like she is, it's like she's literally kind of going crazy but because she can't sleep and it's just... It's it's such a a, a subtle, interesting character, uh, like a, a, just a visual character trait that it, it, like you said, kind of grows subtly over the film, and I, I really, I really appreciate that. And I'm also glad to hear you guys say that you really like her as a final girl because um, 
I've read a couple critiques about her where like Who? she starts off <laughs> I'm, trying to rem- I'm trying to remember where but um i where there was some like old old critiques about how uh you know she she has this agency and they're all about that but then by the end of it she kind of becomes a mother to her friends and saves them and brings what? the civilization or the like the family household back to a heteronormativity what and i'm like i don't end of that film screen everyone's dead yeah like i mean if you're talking about the last scene that's clearly a nightmare that isn't real yeah (laughs) like everyone fucking died except for her and the dad Mm -hmm. but molly the the, um the convertible top definitely not freddy (laughs) (laughs) krueger's I mean, and when the mom gets pulled through that way too small window in the door, like, that totally happened. <laughs> That's such a weird take, because that is, like, so opposite of what I would think. It's, like, yeah. it just feels very much like the destruction of the family, and she doesn't save her friends at all. Right. She has to watch them all die, like, in very horrific ways. Mm-hmm. I feel like that had to have been written by a guy. Yeah, I'm no not, offense. I'm not sure. I, I wish, feel like no. it had to be. <laughs> no, no offense taken. Yeah, trust me. Like, yeah, it's such a weird take because the end is very obviously like a nightmare scene. Like it's not real. Yeah. At least that's how I interpret it. Oh like, yeah. It, it, I mean, between the convertible and what happens to the mom, that definitely yeah. was just another nightmare. And the creepy mm-hmm. girls in all white singing the Freddy song. <laughs> yes. Oh, I forgot about them. Yes. <laughs> Can oh, we talk I love about, that song. Can we talk about Freddy Krueger as a villain? I love yes, him please. so much. I didn't, I, again, I forgot how little he really is actually in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. more of, of like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's more of an impression in this film than he is, like, a fully realized character like he is in the later films. But I love that. Yeah. I love it in these, I guess, in revisiting these movies, like, realizing that the monsters that I remembered are, are, are like, ideas, like you said. They're really, like, an impression. And you barely even see his face. Mm-hmm. But he's still so terrifying, right? And, and that's what I like about him in the, in this movie because, like, um, I'm just gonna lay it out there. Uh, this is my favorite horror franchise. I I love Nightmare on Elm Street. It's it's I've seen every movie a bajillion times. <laughs> it's it, I it's it's my favorite. But I like him more here than I do in any other movie because his humor is more. It's it's very dark. I mean, the comment about like this is God. Oh my god, like, I wrote that down. Yeah. So creepy. Yes, so weird. I just I just I loved it. And the fact that like at the very end, you know, when the the scene with with the the phone, I'm your boyfriend now. Like it's ominous because she knows, oh, he just killed her, my boyfriend and now he's trying to take over me. And it's like it's there's there's humor to it and there's some kind of funny subtext to it, but it's not this slapstick how sweet fresh meat type, you know, punny lines yeah. yeah much more malicious much creepier but on the other thing i can't remember what he says before but it's like i think it's to nancy and they zoom in on his his mouth and he does that weird flicking with his tongue and then the the music yes it's very sexually charged it's, yeah and he he is like a child molester but you it's it's and she is a child it's a teenager so it's so weird to kind of think about that aspect of him coming out in such really really perverse ways like yeah. not outwardly trying to grab her and be sexual, but like these weird like tongue movements and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I think that's yeah, also because they fixation. don't like explicitly say in in the first film that he was like a molester. Yeah. They just say that he killed kids. 
Yeah. And it's almost like it, kind of with what he says too, it's like they hint at it and they hint at it throughout without feeling like in the later films where it becomes a bit more obvious. And then in the, in the, the remake, remake. Yeah. Explicit. Um, yeah. So th- those were two things. There were two things that, that um, ended up getting changed in the movie. And one of them was, in, I guess in his early draft, he was very explicitly a child molester. And then he also wanted the movie to end on a more, was this a whole nightmare thing or was it real? And the studio was like, no, you gotta have a big ending, which is why they shot that, that final car in the, and her mom getting pulled through the window. He wanted to leave it ambiguous, but the studio was like, no. Yeah. I I feel like that doesn't help remove ambiguity for me. (laughs) No, it really doesn't, right? I I feel like if anything, that makes me even more like, because she even acts like, oh, I I just slept really hard. So it hints at it being a dream, and then she's in a dream. Right. So it's, I, I feel like the studio kind of dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> <laughs> as they do. As, as they, they do. <laughs> but I, I think there's some really, really um, awesome lines in this movie. I think the script is really well written. Um, I, I love the part where, like, they think that, that she's, you know, still making jokes about it. Well, maybe not taking it so seriously. And her mom's like, maybe you don't think murder is serious. That pissed me like, off so much. <laughs> I'm like, God damn it. These people are so, uh, just so devoid of, of, of feeling for their kids. And it just bothers the, it bothers the fuck out of me this, this last time I was watching it. I was just so angry at the parents. Yeah. Of anything, I feel like that scene on watching it again, pissed me off more than anything. Cause I was like, she just walked into a room where her friend was like ripped to shreds. Yeah. I, and she's sitting in the police station crying, obviously she's not joking about it and she she doesn't think that it's not serious you're taking her words so far out of context and it made me want to slap that mom so bad right well and then even her dad he he used her to get to rod yeah he he just like he's unemotional he doesn't care she's just another piece to to get his his to bag his his perp and it just oh and even when they're trying to be like helpful they they lock her inside the house. They put the bars out to like you know uh, keep people from getting inside. But what happens when the horror is inside your house? You know, mm-hmm. it's like I, I I always I always find it interesting when um when horror movies have like a classroom scene because whatever they're talking about tends to like you know have big influence on the plot. And I just I love that Lin Shay who Lin Shay I love her <laughs> I love her even though it was probably nepotism that she got into this because she's Bob Shay's wife oh it was um, but <laughs> it's fine but, it's fine <laughs> yeah well, I love her I mean she is I I really like the the career trajectory she's she's gone on this last like decade or so um, but she even says in the class something inside human nature itself is rotten a canker and I just I wrote that down this time because I just I love the way that that kind of is true about this you know this family about this house about everything that they've done it's a canker they are the horrible people and it's because of them that all this shit is happening mm-hmm. I want to write an entire like book about horror English classroom scenes yes please do <laughs> there's just so many good ones and it always cracks me up like I want to know I want to talk to a director who has included one of those scenes and be like how did you choose this like did you come to this before or after and I was always so curious like how they include those moments because they're obviously so important, but not everyone catches on to them immediately. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Those are always so interesting to me. 
they always stick out to me because I was I was an English major. In, yeah, exactly. In college, so it's like I'm always like, who? What are we talking about now? <laughs> what kind of foreshadowing are we getting into today? Right. <laughs> so what what else do we want to talk about? So like we kind of really we really have talked about like how we've approached this at like now versus childhood, but. Molly, what cha- what has changed the most for you in watching it now versus when you saw it as a kid? Um, I mean, for one, it, it doesn't scare me at all anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I've I've grown past that. No. <laughs> um, and it's I mean, uh, what scares me has changed over the years, and it's interesting because mm-hmm. now that I think about it a little bit, like I said, like when I was that age, up until probably when I was like I don't know, maybe ten, I had really horrible, horrible nightmares and had a lot of problems sleeping and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why the film originally terrified me so much, other than the fact that I was way too young to be watching it. <laughs> because there's some, like, everyone has nightmares. And this film plays into that fear and, like, just cranks it up to an entirely extreme level um, and brings your nightmares into reality which is why it was so terrifying then and now i'm more scared by like creepy ghost stuff mostly mm, yeah so slasher kind of things and even this where it's like a supernatural slasher it, it doesn't have the same effect on me but it still has some of them especially for the time some of the most interesting kills like they're unique yes. and like we were talking about like how the the scene was filmed with Tina and how she was murdered like that's mm-hmm. especially for when this film came out that's amazing that they were able to achieve something like that and to have such I felt like I feel like slashers at the time were a lot of masked men that didn't speak and yeah. to have a guy that doesn't wear a mask shows his horrifying face and talks and like he's not full sass in this film but goes on to have like a sass level that is clearly played a part in my taste in villains since like Ursula and <laughs> shit are the villains I go towards because right. I like the sassy villains yeah. um, and it's, it's just it was something different. And I still absolutely love it. I think now Tina's death affects me more than Gil's. And I think, honestly, probably when I was a kid, I'm pretty sure that scene is about when my sister and her friend left me alone. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so that probably is partly why it scared me the most then. Um, and, I mean, I see the flaws in it a lot more now. <laughs> I still think it's an effective death, though. It is. Like, I, the, especially the, when, the, when the claws rake across her, her stomach and it just, like, Ooh, just starts yeah. bleeding yeah. through her hands. Like, I, that for me, just like really still today is like, wow, that, that's, that's some really good filmmaking. And yeah, I mean, you can probably, if you look close enough, see like the seams that are, are, are breaking because of, you know, limitations of the time period. But like, I don't know, that scene still just gets me. I don't even think I necessarily mean the flaws like of the physicality of it. I mean yeah. more like like the the final scene, the very end scene was like totally unnecessary and just meant for a jump scare and clearly mm-hmm. like a, a production add-on at the end. You can usually right. tell when it's the production company that has a hand in it because it usually does not relate at all to the rest of the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but... It's just so good. And it's I, I'm with you. Like, this is my probably my favorite horror franchise. And Yay. This, this first film will always be 
my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, I obviously like two is amazing, and I love New Nightmare. And I, or I meant three. I do love two, though. I love them all. I love them all for different reasons. I like me some sassy villains. Um, but this one is just, I feel like it, it brought something new to the slasher genre. And that's what yeah. Wes is good at. He's good at bringing new stuff to the genre. Yeah. So you're going to revoke my horror card, but I haven't seen any other Nightmare on Elm Street. Really? I've only seen this one. Okay. So when are you coming over? Because I own all of them. Yes. Yeah, I do yay, too. Yay, yay, yay. We'll have a marathon. Yay, yay, yay. Yes, I really will. want to. Let's I guess, all do like, it. I don't know why I haven't seen them. I think when I was... Well, like when I was younger, I was like, for some reason, I'm one of those assholes that was like, uh, old horror isn't as good. And I don't yeah. know why my dumb ass ever thought that. <laughs> um, so I started getting better and better about watching stuff like that. But for some reason, like it's just been such a blind spot for me. And I need to remedy that, obviously. But I feel like I really want to watch them with someone. And I don't yeah. really know anyone in my life. Like, my my boyfriend has seen it, but I want to watch it with, like, a group of people. So maybe I can, like, persuade my friends to watch them with me. But I need to see them. I just haven't. So the thing, the thing, um, I have just a little bit, I have a huge connection to this story, um, yeah. to this, this, this franchise. And um, to Wes Craven in, in general, uh, rest in peace, good sir. Mm-hmm. I, here's the thing, like, um, for the the recent Dread Central article where it was like the 40 most impactful movies, I talked about Alien. And Alien is impactful, but the more I thought about it, especially after watching this movie this time, the more really this film and Wes Craven is, is so impactful to my love of horror. Because it was this film that really sold me on horror. And then, um, Molly, you know this because we talked um, about it during Cooper's uh, podcast, but... There was a time where I couldn't watch horror movies because my parents got very like conservative about what I was watching and consuming, mm-hmm. but they didn't with books. And so I read a lot of a lot of horror books, a lot of Stephen King, etc. And I lost track of horror movies. And it wasn't until um, Scream came out on VHS. I didn't even see it in theaters. Um, when it came out on VHS and I watched it and sat down I was, and he pulled me right back in. And if it weren't for these two movies, I don't know if I'd be here having this lovely chat with you two. Mm. He really was yeah. like a, a visionary. Like his yeah. his films, honestly, kind of like you. Like my first horror experience was this film, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and then honestly, probably one of my other favorite films is this. I mean, honestly, I like all the Scream movies, even the third one. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, like the Scream series, also like I've I'm pretty sure I saw the first Scream around when it came out. So I was still pretty damn young. <laughs> right. Um, and it's just like, like I said, he's so good at giving you something that's familiar, but then giving it a spin that delivers something that you've never seen before. And that sticks with you. Like, Freddie, when you see him, he sticks with you. He and really does. I'm wearing my Scream oh. t-shirt right now in honor of, it's October 1st and we're recording this podcast, so... I'm wearing it in honor of the spooky month and one of my favorite horror movies. So I love Wes Craven. Yeah. He, and he's, you know, he's had, I mean, let's be honest, he's had some misses, but, but what, what director hasn't in Who over hasn't? Like, like, what, a 40 year career? Was, yeah. Was it about? I mean, come on. John Carpenter has Ghosts of Mars. 
Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I still kind of love that movie. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen it because it was, again, during that time where I just wasn't watching horror movies again. It's, it's um, really bad. Yeah. But it's it's that's kind of why I love it. <laughs> Toby Hooper has life force. Mm. Mm. I don't that's think I've seen about that one. It's fucking alien awful. Alien vampires, right? Yes, it's fucking awful. <laughs> yeah, it has. It's so much. It's some one of my friends really wanted to watch it, and I was like, "This is it's space vampires, and it's such a boring movie, and it shouldn't be this boring as it is." So, all <laughs> but of is guys... it better than Dracula three thousand, which also takes place in space? <laughs> Why? It yeah. can't be. It has to be. Dracula <laughs> okay. 2000's better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty bad. <laughs> Is that, it boring though? Um, I don't think I've seen it. It's I like. I don't even fully remember. I I'm pretty sure there's a rapper in it. Um, <laughs> there, is, there is. There is. Yeah. I don't. I from what I've heard, it's not boring. And like, is it a sequel to Dracula 2000? I think it's like an unofficial sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Those are always the best. It's I I don't even know why I watched it. I think it was on TV one day, and my husband walked in and was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" I was like, oh, "I'm Casper enjoying Van my Dean life." In it. <laughs> Casper Van Dien was in it. He's a hunk of dude. He is. <laughs> what are you watching? Don't look at me. <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> don't judge me for the films I watch. <laughs> it's for research. <laughs> Although, I mean, that's always a good thing that you can say now, right? It's that's like research. I do. I, do. I, try to, I say it's research. <laughs> See, and it's, I, for those of you who are familiar with Sex in the City, I take yes. after Miranda, and when people judge me, I'm like, I love it, it's my thing, let it go. That's, she says that's the that. Best way, that's the best way to approach it, though. Yeah. That is the best like, way. I, who gives a shit if something's bad? It doesn't mean it's not fun, which is how I feel right. like even with Wes Craven's bad films, I still love his bad stuff. <laughs> Right? It's, I mean, and it's, I feel like some of his stuff gets unjustly dumped on. Like, My Soul to Take, one of his last films, I actually really like that movie. I've actually never seen that one, I will say. It's, it's a very interesting, unique premise, and I liked it, and if someone judges me for it, they can suck it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's how I feel about it. (laughs) I, I am totally there with you. I also might feel that way because I am drinking right now, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm drinking Same. alcohol and eating candy horn. Candy horn? Candy corn. <laughs> candy corn. Candy horn. I mean, it, it's I October 1st, horns. so why? what else am I going to do other than be a guest on a podcast, eat candy corn, and drink? I love it. Yes. I mean, that's living your best, best way life to bring right in there. That, to bring in the spooky season. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially talking about the the film that made me a horror fan like i i am so glad that this movie made you a horror fan i it, i really am when 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 we put out when we sent out the list of of or we asked you for a list of movies and this one was on i was like okay well we're definitely doing this one. <laughs> yep. and i'm so glad that was your first that's yeah. that's amazing although if you ever want me back i have really funny stories for virtually every film that i put on that list oh girl we'll have you back trust me yes I'm realizing now that I have a lot of really funny stories related to film experiences. That's I wonder if that's because I'm a film person. Like, that's my jam. I wonder right. if I was interested in, like, I don't know, ice skating, if I would have really funny ice skating stories for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, Molly, um, to talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, so where can our listeners find you? And do you have anything you have up, coming up? Or do you have anything you want to plug? 
Um, yes, they, um, so people can find me on Twitter at blogging Banshee on Instagram at blogging Banshee. And I have a blogging Banshee Facebook account too, but I can't remember what the URL for that is. <laughs> um, but I'm sure if you just look up blogging Banshee, it'll come up. And then obviously my website is the blogging Banshee.com. Um, I have, uh, couple shutter related reviews that'll be coming out this week um i'm also going to be um this weekend i don't know when this is going to air but the weekend of october 4th (laughs) i am going to be doing uh coverage of the hp lovecraft film festival in portland oh wow Um, so this will this is going to come out the 4th of november so it will be so it'll be a while after that (laughs) but absolutely go check that out so do they do they do like films of hp lovecraft or what how they do um, like, I know one of the films that they're going to show that I'm super excited about is um, Color of Space. It's so good. I saw oh, it. Mary Beth really was talking excited. about it. So that's going to be there. And then they have, like, a lot of short films and stuff. And they also, um, uh, Victoria Price, Vincent Price's daughter, is the special guest. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. And oh, wow. so they're going to be showing a couple of his um, old films, like The Tingler. And, oh, my um, gosh. Another one that I'm blanking, it has Palace in the name. Like the the great pal, I don't know. It has palace in the name. I'm sure. I'm sure Vincent Price people are going to be mad that I don't know that. But <laughs> so, and they also do like there's. It's also books inspired by H.P. Lovecraft's work. So there's like author signings and stuff too. So it's pretty cool. The Haunted Palace. Yeah. Haunted Palace. Thank one? you. Yes. <laughs> From 1963. There you go. Yeah. So it, it should be a good time. Cool. Um, so listeners, uh, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What has what was your experience with uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street when you first saw it? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, and we might feature you in an upcoming episode. You can also reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, tag us at scarredpodcast if you want to talk more on Twitter. Thanks, everyone. We want to say thank you to Steve Barnold for our art and Sean Keller for our killer song. Stay creepy. And until next time... powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. 
acast.com. <laughs>